This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. Beehive Banter is back after a week's recess. We didn't miss much last week as coalition talks ground on, with no one saying anything of substance. As it was, Grant Walker was sick, and this week he's lost his voice, so you'll have to make do with me, Dita Deboney, and NBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. It's still been quiet this week, but later today we'll finally get the official election result, and maybe then National Act and probably New Zealand First will get on and negotiate a coalition agreement agreements. But we've had an inkling this week of what's on Act leader David Seymour's wish list and Brent, it's pretty clear he doesn't want to have to deal with Winston Peters if he can avoid it. Well that's right, he, he's made his, his position really clear that what he would rather see would be a national Act coalition without any need to involve New Zealand first. Um, and he's right in the sense that it would be a much easier coalition to negotiate. I think, you know, if if that was the result um, at the end of today, you know, probably pretty much early next week, you'd you'd certainly have a government announced, I would think. Um, uh, But he points out it could be more problematic if they do need to to turn to New Zealand first and, you know, questions then about how long it might take. Um, And it's just that much more problematic for the National Party and for Christopher Luxon to, rather than just dealing with one party and one one other leader, it, it's two, and coming from a different perspective. So, um, you know, and I think you know David Seymour would think that probably that could get more of its policy agenda through in just a, a two-party coalition, uh, less likely to when also um, consideration has to be given to what New Zealand First wants. Well, exactly. I mean, what happens if, as expected, National Act lose a seat or two and they actually can't form a government without New Zealand First? Well, you know, then obviously they will have to do a a three-party coalition of sorts. I mean, Christopher Lux and the National have already been talking to New Zealand First. We do not know how detailed those discussions have got so far because, um, you know, Christopher Luxon is refusing to say anything, even just, you know, not even telling us whether they're going well, badly or not. So, but, I mean, one would imagine, though, that, I mean, actually Winston Peters himself, though, has said uh, to that uh, the platform in an interview with Sean Plunkett that people would be surprised that actually it could go a lot quicker than people think and that he seems to be keen to do a deal quickly and he was talking about the fact the Pacific Islands Forum meeting was coming up just a, just late next week and then not long after that the APEC leaders meeting. So he seems to be keen on getting a new government in place so that ministers and leaders from that new government could go to those international meetings. Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, but it's certainly, though, it's still going to be more problematic to run that government. But equally, I guess, under the current numbers, if they remain unchanged, uh, National and Act would end up with just a two-seat majority in a, in a 122-seat parliament, based on uh, them winning the uh, Port Waikato by-election later this month. That's still a very, very narrow majority. I mean, so I wondered whether Christopher Luxon still might not want to talk to New Zealand first to just have an added buffer in terms of governing over the next three years. So, you know, there's a lot still to become clear. I mean, once the vote's out later today, you you know at least then the three parties can get into the talks with real impetus and, and maybe we can expect 
some further information, if not an announcement, next week. Now, one thing all this means is we've had a few weeks of uncertainty since the election, and we're always told that businesses hate uncertainty. But no surprise, Brent, that in a couple of business confidence surveys taken since the election, businesses are feeling more optimistic than before the election. Any reason for that? Well, the only thing I can think that's changed from the previous surveys, and these are the ANZ Business Confidence Survey and the Auckland Business Chamber uh, survey, which then that was done after the election. The only thing that's changed has been the election results, so that we're going to get a change of government. Um, you know, I think, think if you look around at the economics, um, if you think about the ongoing um, humanitarian disaster and atrocities in the Middle East, um, in the you know Gaza, Israel, um, the ongoing um, conflict in Ukraine continuing concerns about China, I mean, which actually all then get played up to in a Reserve Bank uh, report out this week, the Financial Stability Report. Um, there's not a lot of good news, I would have thought, that much good news for business around, you know, but they're a lot more, yeah, they are a lot more chipper. They seem much more confident about the, the economy. They seem much more confident about their own. And yeah, and you can only put that down probably to the fact that they're really happy to see a change of government. Mm, yes, that's right. Uh, this week, too, the latest unemployment figures were out and the Reserve Bank released its six-monthly financial stability report, which you mentioned. Um, good news or bad in all that, Brent? Well, bad news for those people who are obviously have joined the the unemployment line, unemployment um, up to 3.9%. Um, ironically, probably good news for the Reserve Bank. Um, it, you know, it probably tells it that its uh, policy of raising interest rates is working, it's slowing the economy, it's putting more people out of work. Uh, ironically too, businesses seem to be happy with that because you know that means there are more people available for them to employ if they choose to. Um, so, but you know, one person's uh, bad news seems to be another person's good news. Um, the Reserve Bank, I guess, is picking that uh, the you know, financial system is, is in good shape, that banks are well um, capitalised, insurance companies are in okay shape. Um, it does point to some issues around the dairy sector, uh, commercial property, some worries there, and also household debt, the level of household debt and how a number of households will cope with that. And particularly if people are losing their jobs and they've got high mortgages, then they're going to be in deep trouble in terms of trying to service that. So, you know, there they may well be more pain again next year. Uh, but the bank's stress testing it tells it it's it says that the banks the you know um, retail banks will ba basically still be able to weather the worst case sort of scenario if, if for instance unemployment rose to nine percent uh, wouldn't be easy but the banks have got enough capital sort of behind them to be able to get through that. Given all these headwinds you're talking about, what are the main challenges the new government will face once it's formed? Do you think what are the main things? Well, it, it's got those economic challenges. I mean, it's going to uh, go into government with uh, inflation coming down, but 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 slowly, probably not as quickly as most people would like. Um, interest rates still high, and households really struggling, and probably likely maybe to struggle even more next year as the roughly remaining third of households see their with mortgages see those mortgages roll over to, to higher rates. Um, the economic activity looks as though it'll be a bit sluggish, although, you know, 
by the time as this the outgoing government leaves, the economy was still growing relatively strongly in a sense. Um, so they've got those economic challenges that they'll have to deal with. And then the challenges of actually meeting the expectations they've set. Not, not that any of the parties really put up a huge, bold, visionary kind of like new policy, but there's the sense that they're provided, certainly that the National Party leader, the incoming Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, is that you know, he's a man who can get things done. He was a chief executive and he'll get outcomes. So people are expecting him to actually deliver things then quite quickly. And, and that's what he's sort of played up. Um, and he may not be able to deliver those sorts of outcomes, certainly on the economy, as quickly as maybe people might like. They've got a big program of change um, that they've talked about the first 100 days, 10 pieces of legislation that they intend to introduce. Um, well, you know, you've got to go through the policy work. You've got to have it drafted. You know, it's probably going to be difficult to do all of that stuff, actually, in the first 100 days. So, there's, yeah, so there's quite a few things that could could trip this incoming government up early in its term. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting. And again, many of them, ministers, not will be inexperienced. So there, there's a range of challenges any new government faces, and it's, I guess, compounded by the economic difficulties and, you know, some of the expectation that might have been raised about just how quickly they will make changes. Finally, how difficult is it going to be for Labour to go back to opposition? Well, well, no political party likes to be in opposition and, and Labour, I guess, has some internal issues of its own to, to resolve in terms of you know questions around its tax policy. Some people seem to think it should have gone into the election campaign with the wealth tax uh, policy and the like and questions about you know David Parker apparently is considering whether he might run for the leadership. So... Uh, there has to be a vote um, and within three months of the election. So before Christmas, you'd expect there'll be a, a caucus vote to endorse the current leader, uh, Chris Hipkins. He, and under the Constitution, he has to get 60% plus one of the caucus to vote for him to stay there. And then the leadership matter, leadership has settled for the, um, the time being. And, and, and that's likely. I mean, what they'll want to do is go immediately into opposition and be effective in opposition. And, and the one thing you've got is an advantage going into opposition after six years in government. For the first few months at least, those opposition spokespeople will probably know more about what's happening in government than the new ministers because they, they'd spent years there before. So, you know, you'd expect that they'd use a little bit of that advantage to try and hold the incoming government to account. Um, and if Christopher Luxon is correct in terms of what he says, you know, Parliament's going to sit right up till Christmas, so it'll be quite, you know, people will get a bit tired and snarky, I suppose, but it, it's going to be, I guess, an interesting few weeks of watching the new government in action and the, the new opposition in action. Thanks so much, Brent. That's Beehive Banter for this week. By the time you watch this, you might even know the official election result. Finally, all the waiting will be over and Christopher Luxon can steam ahead with forming his government. Whether it will fly might depend on how much of a handbrake New Zealand First applies if, as likely, it's sitting on the Treasury benches. Next week, Grant Walker will be back. Thanks for watching. NBR are offering a free trial to newcomers. See what all the fuss is about on our flagship website, nbr.co.nz. As we wait for a new government to be formed, the outgoing government is preparing to move to the opposition benches. To talk about that, I'm joined by NBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. So, Brent, there's chatter about tax policy and David Parker. How's that linked? 
Yeah, well, look, the, the, the chatter is obviously um, there are some within the party, uh, difficult to tell how many, but certainly on the broader left too, who feel that if Labor had gone into the election campaign with a strong, bold tax policy, i.e. a wealth tax, um, then it would have done better. And linked into that is, of course, the murmurings about David Parker having an interest in the leadership because he is one of those disappointed with that. And we know that from the moment that um, the outgoing Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, ruled out a wealth tax and or a capital gains tax um, back in, I think, June, July, mm. um, David Parker stepped down as Revenue Minister because he made it clear that he supported the wealth tax and wanted to see one in place. So so those are the debates. And, of course, um, one, one of the things is, though, that when you look at the election result, there were two parties that were campaigned on a wealth tax, the mm. Green Party and Te Party Māori, and between them they got about 13 14% of the vote. Um, Labor has campaigned in two previous elections, 2011 and 2014, on a capital gains tax and done very poorly. Um, so while in this election you might argue that the Greens probably picked up some Labor voters on the basis of the wealth tax, overall it doesn't appear to be a great vote winner that would put centre-left parties in a position where they could actually govern. Mm, so is this leadership challenge likely? Look, from... Talking to people in the party, uh, it's not likely that it will that David Parker would have that broader support to actually mount a challenge. What has to happen first under the party's constitution is that there has to be within three months of an election, there has to be a, a vote to endorse the current leader. Now, to remain leader, Chris Hipkins under the constitution has to get sixty percent plus one of the caucus vote. And then if that happens, he remains leader and, and that's it. Uh, if he can't get that, then it would open it up to a leadership spill and there would be a full campaign for leadership. People could put their names forward and that would go to the full vote of you know, third caucus party membership and the affiliated unions. Uh, but that, yeah, that, that's unlikely to happen. I think um, it seems to me from talking to people that most people want to get into opposition and become an effective opposition pretty quickly and not, if you like, get distracted by that sort of contest. And, you know, get into a situation post-2008 where they were riven by disunity for quite a long time, which really um, undermined any chance Labor had of getting back into government and, you know, until fortuitously in 2017. Mm. So any ambition that Parker would have would be a bit of a pipe dream? Oh, hard to say a pipe dream. He's had two goes at the leadership before and never won great support. Um, so why now? So why now? And I think, well, as far as I can tell, it is linked to his quite strong views around wealth tax. tax. Mm. And, that, and and there, as I say, there's a very solid uh, view among some, but I think it's a minority that that's something... I mean, Labor will have to talk about, and one of the things that you get to do in opposition is you review your policies in a way that you probably are unable to do in, in government. So Labor will do that, and one of the things presumably they'll have a good talk about will be tax. But um, it's whether if it gets tied up into some sort of leadership challenge and, and, and you get camps that get, become so clearly divided, I mean, that would be damaging for the party. I mean, one, one of the opportunities and advantages they have going into opposition is for the first couple of months at least, 
they'll know more about what's happening in government than the government will because they were ministers for the last six years. So in a sense, the opposition in, in that, if that sort of initial phase kind of has an advantage in a way over ministers. They know what's going on in the various ministries in much more detail than the incoming ministers will. It'll take them time to get to grips with that detail. So is that what, what are they going to focus on in their first few months in opposition then? Well, I think they are, they will focus just simply on trying to be a good opposition mm. and, and hold the government to account. Um, to be honest, I think too, you know, that one of the things they'll do is when it comes to Christmas, they'll go away and have a good break and a rest. Whereas the government basically is going to have to go away and think about what it's going to do. It's got a pretty uh, solid work program on its hands in terms of what it said it would do. Mm. So, um, but I think for 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 Labor for Labor MPs, once Parliament rises, although we understand it's going to go late, according to Christopher Luxon, we'll come back a bit earlier. But um, Labor, those Labor people who'd been ministers, um, are probably going to get a, a much better holiday break than they have for the last. Uh, you know, six years. It's been a fairly quiet couple of weeks, but Friday, um, special votes come in? Yeah, so Friday, get the special votes, official count. I mean, and that's a big process. People say, why does it take so long? They, they check every vote again. They, they check for that there hasn't been double voting and uh, that mm. people haven't voted twice. They, You know, it's quite a, a, um, a lengthy process, and it's all counted by hand. Um, so it's to ensure the integrity of the vote. So the final official count will come out, and then the National and ACT and New Zealand First will know exactly how many seats they've got and it will become clear to National ACT whether they could form a government together or whether under specials they lose a seat or two, which historically has happened in the past. That would mean they definitely need New Zealand First. Mm. But what you'd expect then would be a real surge in activity in terms of negotiating a coalition and, and, and that, you know, it will be interesting depending on, if, if it's just ACT and National you'd expect an announcement probably the following week. If New Zealand First is involved, you know, questions about how much longer it might take. They've hinted that they want to get things wrapped up pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, they do want to get mm. things wrapped up pretty quickly so they can get into government um, because, you know, it's from then it's only seven weeks till Christmas from the, the final count. If they take another week or two, then they get down to what, you know, five six weeks or maybe four, you know, it's not a lot of time to start getting things done before Christmas and then mm. having to come back in the new year to, and, and National's got quite an ambitious program and it's 100 day sort of program for 100 days of action and that was, I mean, it, is, it includes, I think, introducing about 10 pieces of legislation. That's not easy to do. And possible you know, mini budget as well. And po- a possible mm. mini budget before Christmas. Um, yeah, so a lot of work on their hands um, and they'll want to get into it. Bring Edwards, thank you. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. We spoke a couple of weeks ago, and your expectation or hope was once the final result was out, then there could be quite quick movement around, um, I guess, deciding the arrangements of government. From what, I know you can't go into detail about discussions, but is that the likelihood, is that once the vote is known, the final vote Friday, that things could move fairly quickly from there? Well, I think to some extent it depends on what that final count result is. There's many people who 
um, hold hope that it will allow a, a two-party majority. Uh, I think that makes the negotiations relatively simple. Uh, the alternative is that you've got to try and make a, a three-party government work to have a majority. Um, that will be more complex, uh, but I would hope that there'll be enough options explored uh, by that time that it's, it's not a lengthy process, but maybe uh, this time will be different. Have you done almost like a two-track negotiation of, hey, this is what would happen if it's just National Act, but hold it, if it involves New Zealand first, here's possibly another alternative kind of agreement? Um, look, I'm a bit hesitant to get into giving a whole lot of detail because, uh, you know, we have tried and the Nats have tried to do this a bit differently and I, I know that there's criticism uh, of why can't we get a sort of, you know, um, fishbowl blow-by-blow account of what's happening. But I also just say that the last, you know, decade or so of New Zealand politics, we've had a lot of personality, um, a lot of drama and um, measurable results have been bad in almost every field. Uh, so what I hope we can do is, you know, why I can't give you that exact detail, say, look, we, we will end up with a government, one way or another, uh, that's able to start fixing some problems and delivering some results. Again, you said a couple of weeks ago you hope to see a mini-budget by Christmas. I mean, even from November 3rd, it's just seven weeks to Christmas. Even fast-track sort of negotiation, you imagine, takes enough, you know, that time frame being cut back. Is it, is it going to be possible? Uh, well, it's certainly possible if you get to work and get Parliament back. Uh, so you've got five sitting weeks. That gives you, from the time the agreement signed, a month to, to put that budget together. Uh, so it, it's, it's possible. Um, but again, the variable there is that if you have to add in a third party um, at the end of the process, um, then it comes down to where they're coming from and what their time frames are. Um, and like I say, you know, our hope is that we're going to get a stable, united government ready to do real change and, and do it rapidly. Um, but you've also got to factor in that the best indicator of past performance is future performance. So I, I put that back on, um, you know, can New Zealand first do it much faster than any other time they've managed before? We have to hope. And um, National Party leader or incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has talked about sitting right up until Christmas, coming back early in the, in the new year, mid-January, which is you know earlier than normal. Um, that's, that would be your expectation in terms of getting the work done? Look, in, in principle, yes, but there's two kinds of work you've got to do. I mean, one is you've got to actually prepare the legislation, um, get it ready to debate, uh, and then do the actual debating of it in Parliament. Uh, so I'm all for getting stuff done quickly, um, but it does require that, that you've actually got legislation ready to debate. Um, sometimes it's better to spend your time getting that legislation ready. So I'm sure that you know Chris and anyone else involved in the decision will be weighing that up too. Um, I certainly will be, um, but certainly you know a will to have a long holiday shouldn't be the thing that's stopping us making faster progress. So I mean, you would rather take a bit of time to get the legislation right, perhaps rather than rush it and then maybe have to come back later to correct it, as has happened in the past with the pre, with the outgoing government. Well, I think I think that's always true. That you know, the, and the previous government was particularly guilty of this. Um, they they really tried to use Parliament as a rubber stamp rather than an institution that they need to respect. 
Um, and so as a result, uh, we got bad quality lawmaking. I mean, the firearm laws were a, a good example of that. Um, and on the other hand, you know, when I did assisted dying or euthanasia, I mean, we, we had about 16 months in Parliament on that one. And I think we got it right, as evidenced by the way the laws worked. Um, so, you, you know, if you have a choice between rushed lawmaking and good lawmaking, you should go with good lawmaking. On the other hand, I don't think the will to extend the summer holiday uh, should stop us debating laws that are properly prepared and, and ready to be debated. What can businesses look forward to with the new government, and particularly around, I mean, both National and Act have talked about um, red tape and removing unnecessary red tape. I mean, do you have some clear targets that could be, you know, removed pretty quickly? Well, I think in terms of, you know, there's a lot of legislation there that I think both, if, if not all parties involved, are pretty keen to see, for example, fair pay agreements gone um, as soon as possible. Uh, we're keen to see the Resource Management Act reinstated so you don't have to get used to this Natural and Built Environments Act and all the jurisprudence uh, that that will entail. Um, so there are some specific targets up front. Um, ACT for its part has identified a billion dollars of spending that you could just stop on day one and I don't think there'd be any loss in, in the public interest. There'd be some private interests who would miss the spending but not the public interest um, straight away. But I think there's a, a more general answer to your question is that first of all business can look forward to being respected again. I think business has been treated with this undertone that business is up to something sinister and if there's just another tax, another review, another regulator, another market study, another commissioner, then somehow business will be made to be good. Uh, our starting point is that business is a voluntary cooperation amongst adults to achieve together what they couldn't achieve separately and that is inherently good. Uh, the second thing is the amount of time spent earning money to then pay towards taxes that aren't well used, um, that will reduce because at the moment you know, the, the, quant the proportion of the economy that's consumed by government, often with very dubious outcomes, uh, that has really put a, a headwind on business. And finally, as you alluded to, red tape and regulation. How much time do you spend in compliance? Uh, or how many opportunities do you give up completely because the compliance costs are too high or make a project unviable? Uh, we've got to reduce the impact of red tape and regulation. Again, ACT has, has promoted policies like that and we hope that uh, when all of this coalition negotiation is done, uh, we actually will have a Minister of Regulation and a Ministry of Regulation and a uh, Regulatory Standards Act so that the, the regulatory activity of government is taken as seriously, if not more seriously, um, as the expenditure activity of government, because I believe they have a roughly equal impact on people's ability to get business done these days. In terms of repealing the outgoing government's um, RMA reform legislation and going back to the RMA, but is there a longer term intention to, to reform the RMA? Because no one agreed that it was working well. The, absolutely. Um, the, the point of repealing the Natural and Built Environments Act uh, and the Spatial Planning Act is, is not to reinstate the, the RMA for an ever, forever and a day. Uh, the point is that those laws aren't the answer. Uh, they're probably slightly worse than the RMA and the transition costs will be very high. So that's got to stop. Um, but we've then got to replace it with something that is 
easier to transition to, that is mindful of case law that is useful, um, and uh, has principles of property rights in order that you basically can do what you like on your property as a presumption, uh, right up to the point where you're harming someone else's enjoyment of their property. Now, if we were to replace the RMA with a law like that, I think you'd be astonished at the uncoiled spring of resourcefulness that New Zealanders are just waiting to use um, if only uh, they were allowed to by right rather than presumed to face a very costly process uh, before they can do anything again. Because that, that belief, and it's a, it's a valid belief, uh, is not only made stuff that we do build more expensive, it's massively eroded our culture towards building more stuff. So what are the odds on when uh, the new government is actually formed and in place? Well, like I say, I mean, we've, we've worked really hard over the last couple of weeks and will continue to this week uh, to have a good relationship with the NATS that's ready to go. Um, if you have to, and I think that could be done within days of the, the final vote. If, on the other hand, we find ourselves needing um, to have a totally different conversation, uh, then I suspect that that's really something that you'd be better to ask New Zealand first. Um, they will be the ones that, that are introduced to that mix and I guess the challenge will be, you know, what, what do they want um, and uh, is it compatible and do they want to do it quickly? And if, if, with history as a guide, uh, you'd have some reasons to be wary, but, uh, you know, you don't lead the hack party for 10 years without a bit of optimism in life, so I'm, I'm optimistic about it. David Seymour, thank you for your time. Thank you. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.